Welcome to the Money and Meaning Show. I'm your host, Kanae Corner, National Certified Counselor and the world's number one clinical hypnotherapist specializing in stress management for healthcare professionals who want to turn a life of stress into a life of meaning and help their patients do the same. Tune in each week. I'll show you how to respond to yourself first. So, are you ready to let go of your stress? Well, let's get into today's show. Hey there, my prosperity pros. Welcome to another episode of the Money and Meaning Podcast. Now, you may know that International Women's Day is coming up. And I'm recording this beforehand, although you might be listening to it afterwards. But I wanted to have a conversation with a good friend of mine about women's empowerment. And you know, Leah, Leah's been gone for a while, but Leah was my co-host on when she and I used to do these Red Table Talk conversations. We do have conversations about the Red Table Talks. And it was so much fun. And even though our lives got really busy and things happened and then we had to stop doing it, we decided this was a conversation we wanted to come back for. So I want to reintroduce you to my friend, Leah Marshall. Hey, Leah. Hey, Kane. So good to reconnect. Yes. Snowy, freezing Chicago. <laughs> While you're freezing over there, we're having a one of our first like 70-ish oh, days. My gosh. So jealous. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so do you think I should tell the people like kind of who you are and what you do out in the world, the work you're doing, or would you like to, to give some color to that? Yeah, I can give a little bit of color. So by day, I work in influencer marketing for a large marketing organization. And that's everything from planning events to new content creation to industry initiatives and research. And then on the side, kind of my, my passion project is about three and a half years ago, I founded the Esther Perel Discussion Group on Facebook. And we're now a community of almost 13,000 members from across the globe. We talk about the work of Esther Perel, who's a really well-known, well-respected therapist. And we do a lot of Facebook Lives with experts in the space that she often references and quotes their work. So that's kind of my, that takes up a lot of my time doing, we have a women's group that meets weekly through that community as well. So passion is really psychology and human connection, which I'm sure has quite a bit to yeah. do with what we're going to dive into today. Exactly. And it also has to do with why we had to stop our <laughs> conversations yeah. because yeah. between the two of us, and, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Getting our schedules together is interesting. I know it's hard, but it's always so great to hear from you when you reach out and say, hey, I have an idea. And I always like, I don't even question. I'm like, if Kanae's asking me, I'm down. So. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I feel too. I'm like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Actually, that just happened. And the person <laughs> that you referred, I was like, yeah, I already know I'm doing it. Uh, you can tell me about it though. <laughs> yeah. Because we, we, even though today, you know, we've been through our own women's journeys. And so we may disagree is the word I'm going to use. Like we may disagree on some things, but we're always in alignment, even if we don't see it exactly the same way. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. It's interesting because some of our life choices definitely buck the cultural norm, like not having kids, even though we've done mentorship in our own rights. But 
Like when I think about empowerment, I think choice is such a big part of it and making Mm -hmm. choices that are rooted in your vision for your life versus like what culture says you should be doing at this moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to start this conversation because I think that when I hear empowerment, it makes me believe that the person has no choice. They have no choices and they're looking for someone to lay out those. So here are your choices. Would you choose one, whichever one you like, you can have, these are your choices. And to me, that's not all that empowering. (laughs) Oh, that's so interesting. I think of it as the opposite. I think of like the journey of discovering the choices and then picking one that's meaningful for you. Huh. Okay. Okay. So I say that because a lot of times when I hear women's empowerment, it almost feels like we've asked for permission and now we finally got it. Like that is my interpretation of it. And I don't know if it's because on some of the events or, you know, advertising or just, you know, the stuff that's out there, it sounds very oppositional. Like, okay, women are over here, men are over here, and and women are breaking through this and, you know, crashing through that and pushing through. And it just, it sounds very oppositional. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I wonder, did somebody give us this empowerment or do we already have it? And we just woke up to it. Oh, that's so interesting. Because I really see a lot of what people would consider as like women's empowerment is very token. Like, you know, there's there's so much buzz that there's, you know, an African-American and Asian female vice president. But it's like, but if you look at like the rest of Congress, like the representation of women, and even the fact that it's a big deal that we have a female vice president, to me speaks to like total lack of empowerment of women. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. And in one sense, it it seemed like it just, it just happened. And then we were just supposed to all just pretend like that was nothing that it was a woman in the White House. Right. Mm-hmm. But then in, on, in the, and in one sense, I did want to just be like, all right, woman in the White House, you know, that's how we do. But then a part of me was like, no, I want to celebrate this. I want to yeah. make some noise about this. Yeah. And I was a little torn because what you just said, like the fact that we do have to make noise about this is hilarious. It's laughable. It's sad, hilarious. (laughs) And there are so many ways, like concurrently, like women's reproductive rights are completely governed by external forces, by the government, by corporations. And that's not done for men. Like there's so many ways in which women, even though there's this facade of empowerment, like that, that we still are just in such a weak position compared with men. This Mm -hmm. is a little bit unrelated, but I was having this fascinating conversation with a friend of mine today. So we were at my pole studio and she and I kind of started around the same time and we usually go to the same classes, you know, maybe four or five times a week. And all of a sudden- Oh, and just so people understand your pole studio. Oh, my pole pole dancing, pole dance studio. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she disappeared and I'm like- where's, where's my friend? And then her Instagram account disappeared. And I'm like, Oh my God, is she okay? And I I asked around like some of the other people who go to the studio, and she is having some marital issues. And apparently her husband 
who she and her husband used to go, would go to strip clubs together. But as soon mm-hmm. as she starts dancing, and to clarify, she's not a stripper. She's going to a dance <laughs> studio and doing classes with other women, you know, for yeah. a couple hours a week. I mean, it's the equivalent yeah. of taking a ballet class or taking a yoga class, right? So he right. he doesn't like it. And I'm like, do you have a sense? And it's causing issues in their marriage. And I said, like, do you have a sense of why? Like, is it about, like, it's threatening to him that, you know, she's becoming empowered in some way? Or is it like, mm-hmm. is it in some way kind of clashing with his idea of who she was? You know, I mentioned mm-hmm. Esther Perel earlier, but it's like in dating and relationships, we're often picked for a role that we didn't audition for. So maybe he auditioned her yeah. for a role that she no longer wants to play. So it just was, yeah. to me, it was a really fascinating example of how for so long, women's sexuality was seen as their her husband's, you know, and she it just it wasn't her own. It was her job to deliver pleasure, not to own her own pleasure. That surfaced. Ah. And it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I just felt so bad. Like, it really felt like she was oh, being shamed. She for- came back? Yes, yes, she did come back. So I so so she disappeared. And then she came okay. back. But she said to like, really decrease the amount that she's going to the studio to kind of keep the peace at home. It just um. it, it just made me so sad that she experiencing kind of that shaming as she's like coming into her sexuality and like really just like loving it and owning it that it's shamed curious to hear your thoughts yeah (laughs) I'm so like so many thoughts first I think I love the idea and I we've talked about this before that we auditioned for a role. Now, maybe at the time when she auditioned, she was auditioning for the role that she wanted at the time. Yeah. But she has since, her character has since evolved and he's not evolving with her. The way he sees her is the way he wants her to stay. And it's almost like how, you know how, and I see this with fathers a lot, but like fathers will see their daughters as like 12 forever. Right? Oh my God, literally Kane on the topic. So my dad, I was just talking about how I, I'm in the process of buying a condo and my dad's been like so incredibly helpful. And for, for anyone who is not like watching so they can't see me, I'm almost 40, right? <laughs> I'm 40. So he, he calls me last night and I've been in kind of a tumultuous living situation where I've needed to go somewhere else to sleep at night because it's really noisy in my apartment. So he knows that this other place that I go to, that I've been going to sleep is about, it's like a 20, 20, 25 minute walk. And that I'll usually go around like 10 o'clock. And he calls me last night mm-hmm. and he like, kind of like tentatively is like, Hey, Hey, Leia, are you at the place yet? And I'm like, yep, I just got there. And he's like, Leah, how about like for the next month while you're still in this like back and forth situation? He's like, why, why don't I just like pay for your Ubers to go back and forth? Because he knows that I prefer to like, walk or ride my bike. And I like, I just had the biggest chuckle. I'm 40. And it really felt <laughs> like my dad was seeing me as like, you know, an 11 or 12 year old. But I think that's girl. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But I think <laughs> yeah. for dad, it's just hard to break out of that. Yeah. And maybe for a husband too. I don't yeah. know. 
I'd, I'd love to see, well, I'd love to be part of this evolution to see what happens in this relationship. Cause it could, as you and I know, could be a beautiful evolution if he sees her this new way and, and begins to help her embrace this, this, it, and not even her sexuality, but this way of, of expressing herself. Cause even though pole dancing is seen as sexual, that's not exactly what it is. It's just, that's one way of expressing yourself, not necessarily sexually. It's one way of expressing yourself. This is what I'm letting go. I'm getting this out. I'm releasing this to the world. Now, of course you have on small clothes and usually highest heels and you look sexy while doing it, but that's not what the only thing is about when you're doing it. And I I have not done it, but I've watched it enough, including on your Instagram. So (laughs) Would you say that? Here's what like really, really rubbed me the wrong way about what I'm picking up on. Okay. So they used to go to strip clubs together. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was all about it, right? And then she starts to tap into her sexuality and kind of explore it and play with it and have fun with it and connect with other women over it. And it's, it no longer is okay, right? And so there's this sense of only other types of women are sexy, right? Are sexy while they dance. And then there's this like subtle shaming, like when a woman is in her sexuality, like this shaming of it that he's projecting onto her. So it's like, it's okay if those other like trashier women are sexual mm-hmm. and they're sensual yeah, yeah. and they dress up. Exactly. Yeah. But, but it's not okay if all women are in touch with their sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to me, yeah, that, and th- that like super, yeah. me the wrong way. I'm sorry. I forgot that part. That mm-hmm. wasn't very, when you first said that, I was like, holy crap, that's, you know, double standard or whatever. And I, I will also want to add that, first of all, the word sexuality is a tough word for even women. You know, they they don't necessarily know if they want to be sexual or sensual or any of those words that have to do with sex. So that's first. But when you take it and put it in stories for men, men really do have categories. It's like, oh, this is the woman I do these things with, right? And then this is the woman I take home to mom, as they say, or, you know, this is my... Or even like, yeah, this is my little princess. You know, like they just see, some men just see their woman as this little clean and this girl over here is the dirty girl, you know, kind of like that. I have to jump in because I just had an interview. I just interviewed Dr. Mm -hmm. Wednesday Martin, who wrote the book Untrue, which is all about debunking myths about female sexuality. Mm. And to your point about these buckets, how we like compartmentalize people to me, that's a recipe for completely killing the desire in a relationship, like the sense that I can only bring my sexual fantasies and like my kinky sexual side to the sex worker, but I can't bring it to my wife. And then yeah. and then you wonder why the desire fades, because we're all showing mm. up completely masked. We're not authentic. Yep. We're not sharing our yep. fantasies with our partner <laughs> because yep. there's so much shame around them. And then, you know, then we're in a sexless marriage and then we go have an affair. So yeah, exactly. I'm super, super against the compartmentalization. Like yeah. I don't to do that with that person. And, you know, it's just, yeah. 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 
And and the same is also true where women don't want to be put in that, oh, that's not me. I don't do that. I wasn't raised that way or whatever the, the stories that we're telling ourselves about women who do that. Right. We se- we sometimes put ourselves in boxes, separate ourselves. No, I'm the kind of woman that only does this kind of stuff, not that kind of stuff. Right. So it's almost like the man has to then not want that kind of stuff because he's not going to get it out of this girl. Like this girl is in this box. Yeah. And each mm-hmm. time I have a really strong reaction to something, to me, that's a sign like I haven't quite come to peace with it. So let's mm. say let's say I'm at my pole dance studio and normally my pole dance outfit is like fuzzy socks and like yoga leggings and like maybe a sweatshirt or maybe I'll just wear a sports bra, whatever. Like that's my happy place. Like I like to be comfortable and cozy and I like to like slide on the floor. Whereas other people, yeah. they might wear a G-string and like a nipple exposing top of sorts and like, you know, 10 inches. Okay, okay. Right. If Mm -hmm. I have like, if I have any type of reaction to that, it's like, oh, like, what is that bringing up for me? And I'll try to explore it, you know, with a little bit of like curiosity. Mm. But that's like the thing is like, if someone's like, oh, you're such a purple elephant, like you don't have a, you don't have like a triggered response because you've never once thought that about yourself. And it's not. (laughs) It's only if someone says something where you do have like a little bit of vulnerability or insecurity or trigger that it's that, that you'll have that response. So anytime I have a response to me, that's just like a sign. Okay. Maybe like get curious about that. Like what's that bringing up for you? What's the story that you have around wearing a G string and like, a nipple exposing whatever mm. culture top. Oh, I still have to, I'm like burning inside right now because I still have to tell you something. Okay. You don't even know this happened, but a couple of weeks ago, I watch your Instagrams. I watch when you do yeah. your dancing and, and I've noticed that you don't, I've noticed that you wear the fuzzy socks. And like yep. you said, you just have yep. on your leggings. Yeah. I noticed this, like I actually noticed it. And then one day out of the blue, you have on like the tallest heels I've ever seen in life, not just on you, but in life. And like, I think you had on fishnets or something, but it was just a totally different outfit. Totally. Yeah. But Leia, it was something so much more sexy about that video that I even went and told Jason. I was like, look, what? Look at this video. Yeah. Okay. You're looking, you got it. You see it. Now look at this video. Like what just happened? Like did did she take the advanced class? Like what? <laughs> she just it was some you did so you were so different in that other video though. Yeah. So there are a couple of reasons why. Number 1, when you wear heels, the heels are kind of weighted. It's not like they have a weight in them, but like the stiletto aspect and the platform aspect is heavy. Oh, yeah. Kind of like throws you around. So, a move that I'll do, let's say it's called a swoop, like I'll swoop around the pole, right? If I do it without the weighted heel, it just is feels different. It looks different. It, mm-hmm. it is like gravitationally different. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. So, that's a part of it. And then okay. I, had, I had done the choreography for that. So, I, I choreographed mm-hmm. the song and then I invited some of my friends, including the friend that I was talking about earlier to join me for it. And so it was like, ah. I, I conceived the choreo. So I like fully owned it. I knew the song. And then, you yeah. know, imagine like if Beyonce was 
wearing fuzzy socks and leggings and like a sweatshirt for a performance versus like she had the whole thing. Like you kind of get into character, right? But the thing about me is I'm a very, I'm like a minimalist, like I'm an easy breezy person. And I, it takes a while to like put on the outfit and put on the shoes and then take them off. It's it's an extra half an hour and I need to like lug all the stuff around and I usually (laughs) class. So for me, it's like, okay, once, maybe twice, three times a year, I'll dress up and I'll do the thing and it'll look extra snazzy. And then the rest of the time, I'm so content to just like, to just be casual. That's awesome. Because what I heard you say was some of it is physics, right? It just is the science of changing the weight, you know, and then some of it was the emotional attachment you had to the song, to the choreography, even the the curated picked people that you wanted to dance with. And then also there was this, this have to be sexier because I just am sexier in this moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there were this layer, these layers, but all of it kind of mostly external. I mean, I guess the emotional attachment is internal, but the song and the people are external, but a lot of it is external where I see empowerment as internal. And I feel like we put a lot of emphasis on the external because of what you just said, because it does just on its own without me doing much of anything pulls me into this powerful place. Yeah, to me, the internal is being like so cool with myself that I don't care if I get more of a reaction when I wear the heels and the fishnets and the whatever. To me, the empowerment is, yeah, just being totally cool wearing the fuzzy socks because I get to glide on the floor and it saves me an hour a day. Yeah. <laughs> and and to me, that goes back to what I was saying in the beginning as Empowerment feels like choices that you give yourself, right? That you then accept it. You accept it that I prefer to wear these socks and leggings because it's just easier and it's, it's convenient on my bike ride, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You you still have the option, the choice to wear the heels, which you do a couple of times yeah. a year. Nobody gave you those choices. You decided to take yeah. those choices. Right. They were always there, but there are women in that room that don't feel like they have a choice. 100%. Yeah, exactly. And that's why you and I, we have a certain amount of empowerment just baked inside of us. I don't know how we got it. Maybe it's because you have this loving father who still treats you like a 12 year old because he just, <laughs> so he, you know, poured that empowerment inside of you. I have, I have father, not the same kind of father you have. He's like, you're grown girl. I know you can handle it. He's more like that kind of dad, like the tomboy, because I was a tomboy growing up and that's how he treats me. And my mom is quite the same way. Like you're so powerful. I know you can handle it. And then when I do it, I know it, I know it. And it claps, clap, clap, clap. Right. So I had a certain amount of empowerment growing up as well. The Beatles said money can't buy me love, but guess what? We are all using money to get love. It's true. I'll tell you why I know. I've learned in my almost 20 years of working in the financial and mental health industries that money and love go together, whether we want it to or not. All of our actions are based on doing what we think will get us the maximum amount of love. 
Now, later in life, we begin to use money to get that love. From the time we are children, we set in motion a plan to get our parents' love, then our friends' love, next our partner's love, and so on and so on and so on. So you see, around age 14, we make a final decision on how we will handle money. And it just so happens that at that same time, we are making a decision on how we'll handle love. You might decide to be a saver. You might decide to be a spender. You may even decide to be a hero or an enthusiast. Wondering what those two are? Take the money mentality quiz. It will reveal how you use money to get love. You don't have to believe me. See it for yourself. Take the money mentality quiz. Go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash quiz and see for yourself. It's free and it only takes like two minutes. The great thing is you'll walk away not only knowing your money mentality or money personality, but you'll also know your money strengths and challenges so you can do something about them. So go ahead, take the quiz, but don't stop there. At the end, remember, give me your email address, your best email address, so I can give you some guidance to get enough love and money in your life to make it full of meaning. Go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash quiz. The link is in the show notes. Now, let's get back to today's show. Is empowerment instilled in you or like, is it all in, inside of us, all of us? And then we either give it away or notice it or, you know, I want to talk that through a little bit. What are your thoughts? So to me, disempowerment would be the messages that we receive from culture and from our family mm-hmm. and from religion about how we should be. And that is, you know, when we're born, we're fully empowered. And with those messages, I think we become disempowered. And then the journey of empowerment is unpacking the messages, picking and choosing what you want to keep, and then discarding what doesn't serve you. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I totally, you know, as a hypnotherapist, talk about it all the time. And it is just so true. It's, it's all those messages coming at you, coming at you, and you can only block so many. And eventually some get in and they get in as frequently enough for them to become your program. Right. And some of us buy into it, especially when you think of like religion and religion is repetition, right? You go every Sunday or Wednesday or whatever day you go to your religious thing that's repetition and your brain is going to eventually believe that. And then if it is also backed by your family, because that's, you know, there's these different layers of programming, there is society, and then there's your community, and then there's your household, Mm -hmm. right? And if, if each one of those layers is saying the same thing, it's really difficult not to let those messages penetrate you. 100%. Yeah. But some for some people, either they don't penetrate or you figure out how to get out of them out of that programming. And and I think that is what they mean when they talk about empowerment is that that awakening or that, you know, pushing through those programs. But sometimes it comes off to me as if it's asking or like taking it from somebody. Oh, give me my empowerment. I'm taking it back now. Hmm. So that's why it's now that we're talking this through, 
I feel like what you just said, that disempowerment comes at you and then you have to try to repel it. But if it gets in, then after repelling it, if you're not able to do that, the next step is to like wash it off. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think the challenge is like the disempowerment happens when let's say we're you know, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight years old, right? So we don't have the consciousness, like we don't have that awareness to repel messages that could be not serving us, whether they're from our parents or from teachers or, you know, whatever, our peers, whatever else it might be. So I think we all do get disempowered because generally we're surrounded by unconsciousness. So the first step is realizing that you can unpack it and get that awakening and awareness. And then the second is like the journey of unpacking and Mm. reprogramming. And the two people by far that I think excel at this are Dr. Shafali Sabari and um, Price Gibson as well. As clearly we are on the same page with that. Like it is about just noticing, noticing all of those programs, all of those messages, whether it was, you know, your society, societal programming, even just looking at your community or just looking at your household and then even stuff that you decided, maybe commercials or something made you decide because there are some things that you believe that your parents don't believe. So that didn't come from your household and it doesn't necessarily have to be. Right now we're talking about kind of negative programming. But it doesn't have to be negative. Some of it can be positive. Like I was just born with an extra dose of honesty and 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 boundaries. Like I just don't know where I got them from. But as yeah. a very little kid, I was just always like, no, yeah. I will not stand for this kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So I was never going to be the kid to get molested because I was loud enough. I was quiet most of the time. So somebody might think, oh, I probably can get over on this kid. But then as soon as they come up, I'm like, no, back (laughs) away. You're 30 years old, man. I'm eight. I don't know if you noticed. I'm eight. You're 30. Yeah. Right. I was just very blunt and honest about that kind of thing. Everything. Not just that. And so I think some of going back to our sexuality, some of that empowerment or those messages that come out are in the little things that happen in families that families don't talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have so many friends and even patients, male and female, that were victims of that stuff that didn't get talked about in their families, and they really didn't know what to do next. And I think something that big happening to you, not being able to talk about it, it takes a certain amount. You you don't know you even have power after that. Yeah, I was just thinking about kind of what you shared about sweeping things under the rug in conflict. And I think one of the things, like if I could design an ideal school experience for children, it's like we're never taught how to navigate conflict. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so many of us just go into our fear response, fight, flight, flee, yeah. or like fawn and fix or two additional ones now that people talk about. Mine is a piece, which is like, just make it funny. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretend like it's not happening. Yeah. And yeah, it just strikes me. It, we're just all at such a disservice. Like I think about a lot of relationship experiences I've had with people where I've shared like an incredible connection and it's just so clear, like they don't know how to 
handle conflict. And our conflict wasn't even that big. It was, it was more, it, it was just like little things that came up and, but like ghost or they'll just like pr- totally pretend like elephant in the room, like there's nothing going on. And so when I think about empowerment, another element is like, how do you deal with conflict? Because conflict comes up in relationships, just a natural part of them. It does. Oh my God, this is a big, big conversation. I recently got went through something like this with a young adult. And when I say young adult, I mean like 19 years old. And and trying to explain to him, and it's not even, I know we're talking about women's empowerment, but this is a, a young man and trying to explain to him that the reaction is not always cut the purse, cut somebody right. off and disappear right. block. You know, it, I know this is like the Instagram, uh, social media etiquette, like, oh, if you piss me off, I'm going to block you. Right. But sometimes it's, I'm going to have a conversation with you. Maybe one is a misunderstanding here. Two, it may very well be that you guys don't need to be friends anymore, but at least you can have a conversation to make that decision together. Yeah. And so I'm just watching this happen over and over and over again. And I'm just like, why is that the immediate response? Where is the, like you said, the confrontation, just, just address it, just address it and then make a decision after you address it, how to move forward from there. But there's just, like you said, it's not taught in school. It's very difficult because people are, kids are in school for eight hours and then you come home and you have a few hours with your parents while they, while they try to teach you some of these ideas, but the parents don't always know how to handle conflict either. So they're having a hard time expressing it to their children. Children go in their rooms, close their doors and parents don't know what to do with that. So they just let it happen. So it perpetuates it even more. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I always tell my parents when, you know, as a therapist, I always tell my parents, no matter what you bring it up is, and they say, I don't want to talk about it. You say, okay, I understand. In the event you change your mind, if you ever want to talk about it, come, I want to talk, I'm willing to talk about it with you. So allow them to say, I don't want to talk about it. You don't have to force them to talk about it. Give them their space. They will come back because teenagers like to talk. (laughs) (laughs) They just don't know who's going to actually listen to them. They just don't want to be judged. I was the opposite. My dad has this joke that like from ages 12 to 13, I didn't say a single word to them. You know, they asked me, what's going on at school? Nothing. You know, like one word responses for an entire year. Yeah. Yeah. And that does happen. That happens a lot with teenagers. And, you know, no, I don't know that it's one specific age, like for you it was 12 to 13 for somebody else. It might be 14 to 16. You know, there, there, it's just this gap of time that you are not willing to talk, especially to adults. Mostly, you know, if you have your friends then you're probably more willing to talk to your friends, not yeah. every teenager even has friends. Sometimes that's uh, the challenge and what they're dealing with. But that goes back to empowerment because high school is where a lot of our power either gets shined on like, Oh, you're big and amazing or you're small and nothing. Yeah. And then you either believe it or yeah, believe it. And if you think about like, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And you think about that through the lens of empowerment, like who are you surrounding yourself with? You know, Mm. if you're in college and you're in a sorority and 
your sorority sisters, like, are the five people that you live in a little suite with or in a, you know, an area with, like, that could be a crapshoot. Like, are you consciously curating empowered people to be the people that influence you the most? Yeah, absolutely. And the same but opposite version of that is you might have what you consider powerful people around you, but somehow you don't feel like you measure up to them. So you can have these, you know, empowering people around you. They've somehow gotten power, but you feel smaller than they are. And that's not their fault. Exactly. But that's also a dynamic that happens where people surround themselves with people who they believe are bigger or better. And they, and they, associate with those people to give themselves some like, oh, well, I'm connected to this person, like powerful by association or whatever. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned imposter syndrome. That's not something I certainly have like my share of what we call like core wounds, Mm -hmm. but imposter syndrome isn't something that I bump up against a lot. What about for you? No, me either. That's quite the opposite. Actually. I always think that I could like water ski if I just thought about it hard enough. Like I always think I'm capable of whatever, you know, when people get up there and like, I never thought I'd be, you know, this scar from a small town. I never thought I'd be up here. I always thought I would be up here. (laughs) So what advice would you give? Let's say there's a listener who does experience imposter syndrome a lot. What advice would you give to them? Mm, Number one, for me, I always say, find what you are drop dead good at. Every single one of us has like the thing that we do. And it might not be important to you right now because you're looking at somebody else's thing and you're kind of envious of that. But if you stop doing that and just turn within and just find your thing and you're like, oh, I do do the best this and I do, I am the best at that. And oh yeah, that is that thing that I used to do, but I don't do anymore. There is something that you are just what I call drop dead good at. Like nobody does it better. And if you can just, refocus and and tap into what that is. Now you might not actually want to do it and it might not be a valuable thing. It could, it could be water skiing, right? Like I was the best water skier. Like my sister is really good at swimming, but she lives in Chicago. And how often do you guys? Right. <laughs> and so, and she's, you know, 50 years old. So it's not a thing. But if I remember, she, I used to say she could have been a synchronized swimmer. She was so precise and so good at it, yeah. but dancing, uh-uh, that yeah. girl could not dance. Now, my sister's a black girl, but her dancing. <laughs> <laughs> what was what was your, or what is your thing? Like your drop dead thing? Here's the thing. My thing is that I am good at a lot of things. <laughs> like accidentally. I don't even know how I get good at them. Just accidentally. But the one thing, like my ultimate claim to fame is this insight. Like I have this insight. If I talk to you for just a few minutes, I'm going to be able to tell you things about yourself that you just didn't even ever think of. And you're like, I am like that. I do do that. And everybody feels good after being with me. Like it is not, it doesn't happen that somebody feels worse after they leave me. So that's like accidentally without even trying just something I do. And so, and I know it now. I didn't always know it. Maybe around maybe like 15 or maybe 15 or 20 years ago, I learned it. But that to me is my thing. And, And it feels so good to know it, but it also feels good because I don't, deprive people of it. I used to be irritating 20 years ago before I discovered it. So be like, oh my God, what, what, what people, you know, like I felt mm, ungrateful 
yeah. for the gift. Yeah. But that's how we feel about our gifts a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I'd yeah. say community, I about to ask you. community management because we deal with a lot in our community. Like people find Esther Perel through different avenues. So some people, she writes on infidelity and affairs. So some people are in the aftermath of an affair. And one person might join because they're the other person and another might, person might join because they're like the betrayer or they're, they're betrayed. And so we have a lot of different people who normally would be seen, see each other as kind of like the enemy or the person who's in yeah. the wrong. And so I think I just have been yeah. for creating a space where there's a lot of vulnerability and openness, but also safety, shame-free, you know, no, no shaming, no like judging, creating a space where people share their perspectives, but in a, in a safe, supportive way. Wow. Yeah. And that really does take some skill. Yeah. hundred percent. And you know, they're yeah. like, they're like these little mini explosions that will happen that, you know, you need to deal with like right away. The latest one is there was a thread where a group member was talking about her partner, not having the same idea about the COVID vaccine. So she wanted the family to all get Mm. the COVID vaccine. He didn't want to get it for himself. He didn't want the kids to get it. And there was a really interesting discussion that unfolded around like that relational process related to the vaccine. But as you can imagine, it also devolved into like a pro-vax, anti-vax, which is not the purpose of our community. And, you know, people have very, very strong feelings. Like, I know that that's not our mission, but this is so important that we should be discussing it anyway. So, you know, there there are moments that take a little bit more skill, but I think for the most part, it comes very naturally to me. So do you feel like that is, do you feel like leadership and, and like empowerment are the same thing or somehow related or connected? maybe connected a little bit. I do think like, yeah, it's hard to lead if you don't feel empowered. But I wouldn't necessarily say someone who's empowered is automatically going to be a good leader. Yeah, me either. Because I am very empowered. Like I'm just a powerful person. But I don't really enjoy leadership that much. Like I want like some leadership. I'd rather be like a co-leader than yeah. like the leader of the group and all follow me. If I found, like if I was a founder of something, I'd like want to bring in a co-facilitator or something with me because I don't enjoy leadership that much. And people will disagree with me because I am so powerful, so confident and so out front. But it, it's just not my thing. And and my I have people around me who are way better leaders than I am. And I'm like, yeah, that person needs to lead this group, not me. <laughs> yeah, I think for me, it really depends on the situation. And if the experience meets like deep personal needs that I have. So mm-hmm. for example, like at work, like I like my work. It's really creative. It's challenging. I love the team that I work with. But I've never had like deep aspirations in that area. But talk about like, let's say like we're, we're discussing relationships or psychology or something related to like human dynamics. I'll just find myself like, let's say they need like a volunteer table facilitator. Like I'll jump at the opportunity. Oh, yeah. When I was on jury duty, jumped at the chance to be the, what is it? The four person of the jury. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
I don't yeah. know. They're just uh, anything that's like dealing with human dynamics. I, I find myself like without even thinking mm. about it, like the volunteering, but career wise, yeah. career wise, I don't gravitate towards that as much at all. That's a great way to put it because I, I see that I want to be the leader in the planning, but I don't want to be the leader in the execution now that you helped me break that down a little bit more. Yeah. Like I definitely, I'm jumping at the idea that like, wait, I know what we can do. Like, here's, here's the plan. Here's the situation. Like I got this strategy and the tactics and I'm all up front for that. And then when it comes time to execute, I'm like, Ooh, somebody else should do that leadership. Part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm hmm. Mm. And so I think that is, adds to our our empowerment because you talked about awareness, but being aware of, I call it like your birthright, like that honesty, that that boundary setting, that strat- strategic person, that is my birthright. I was born with that stuff. Nobody had to teach me. I'm not taking a class on it. Yeah. It just is something that is inborn in me. And that's where I'm most powerful. Yeah. Now, are there places that I might need some body to empower me and like, look, I just need for you to do this. Could you just do it for me? Like sometimes that's the empowerment I need for you to kind of guilt me. (laughs) Could you do it for me? And I'm like, sure, fine. I'll do it for you kind of thing. But if you have that, like that awareness of what, where you're powerful, then maybe you can let go of some of the places that you're not necessarily powerful because if somebody has to give you that power in that place, Maybe that's not your power to have. Yeah. Yeah. I think it takes it takes awareness of like the element of ego that can come from leadership. Mm. So if you're someone who's like deeply attached to your ego and like you always need to be in the leadership role versus like, is this advancing the things that I love or like areas of strength or areas where I want to make a contribution? Yeah. 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 I like that. Absolutely. So just to, you know, kind of bring this all full circle and wrap up a little bit, I'm wondering if, I don't know if I know how to say this exactly, but I feel like I'm a little bit entitled, like I sound entitled when I talk about empowerment. And if if there is a 60, 70 year old woman listening to this and she's like, honey, you have no idea about what I've been through and blah, 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 blah. I could just imagine her fussing at this podcast episode because I'm like, hey, I, I was born powerful and I can do anything I want. And she's like, well, yeah, because of the stuff that I did when I was your age. So I'm wondering if, if I sound ungrateful, I do not mean to sound ungrateful, auntie. <laughs> any auntie grandmas or you know mamas out there listening I do not mean to sound ungrateful but what I do mean to sound is progressive like I've progressed from wherever you were your generation and the generation before yours I don't even see that anymore and I can't identify with it like the purple elephant I've never seen a purple yeah. elephant I don't know what that is so I can't even understand not being able to use my voice and step into rooms that I want. And even when I don't fit in, like at country clubs that really don't want a black female in their country club, I know it. And I don't usually go into those rooms, but I just, I do go in to let them know I'm choosing not to go come here because of who you are, not because of who I am. Yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts when it comes to maybe I can sound entitled because some women have come before me? Yeah, to me, they're always going to be if you look externally, they're always going to be ways in which others are trying to 
hold back your power or hold back your rights or curtail them, right? There's just countless examples, pretty much for everyone across the board, even for white men. Like if you look at the way we curtail their ability to be emotionally expressive across the full range of emotions or to be vulnerable, you know, to show weakness, et cetera. So there are always going to be external forces that are trying to curtail your power, but they're also concurrently always ways in which we don't fully tap into, you know, our internal ability to express it. So that's what I would say, like acknowledging the external barriers that they've helped break down while also reminding them that we often have more power than we're exercising. Ooh, yeah. And I feel like we're just about to start a whole new podcast episode. (laughs) Like this is what you just said. That's like the beginning of another episode. That's so good. So good. So we are going to drop the mic right there. Unless it's like, do you think we should like wrap it up with a few inspiring words or, and I don't even like the word inspiring. It's right up there with empowerment for me. But like, how do you think we should wrap this in Nick, like in this episode? Cause there's still so much more to talk about. Of course, we only touched, we didn't even touch the iceberg. We just like sprinkled a little salt on it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe think? encourage some of the listeners to share in the comments ways in which they feel empowered or steps that they've taken to empower themselves. Mm, yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So let's do that. Let's share how you felt empowered even you can share if you like overcome, like I, I used to feel like this and now I feel like that. And if this, and we're talking a lot about women's empowerment, but I also know that there are men who raise their daughters to be powerful. I know that there are men who don't even think about empowerment. They're like, what? You guys don't have power? Where to go? You know, <laughs> so all of that is important. I want to know all the thoughts and all the feelings and all the emotions surrounding this. So anything you want to share, share it with us. We are open and and really we're honest about whether we don't necessarily have to agree, but we are honest about that's something that needs to be talked about. 100%. Yes. Yeah, excited to see. All right, guys. Well, thank you for joining and listening all the way to the end. This has been a full and flowing conversation. So I look forward to hearing more from you. And of course, I look forward to see you guys next episode. Enjoy my prosperos. Bye, everyone. This episode is brought to you by Presidential Lifestyles Embracing Wealth Masterclass. Are you juggling making a difference and making money? I've seen so many mission-driven healthcare professionals burn out because they can't seem to find the formula between making a difference and making money. I've found that formula and I'd like to share it with you. And as a mission-driven healthcare professional myself, I've felt that burnout and guilt. And that's why I created Embracing Wealth Masterclass. It's the guide to true wealth without burnout or guilt. I know, imagine falling in love with your life's work. How would that feel? In this masterclass, I'll share with you my three-step formula for breaking through the blocks that keep you from getting to your next level financially. When you join the masterclass, you'll also get a sample financial hypnotherapy session and I'll answer any questions you have. At the end, I usually do a live coaching session with one lucky attendee. Could be you. All of this is free. So go ahead, register now for our free Embracing Wealth Masterclass. Click the link in the show notes or go to 
presidentiallifestyle.com slash masterclass. And I'll see you sooner. Thanks for listening all the way to the end, my prosperity pro. I want to stay connected with you. Here are four ways. Pick the one that works best for you if you want to stay connected with me. One, if you have any questions, I'd love to answer them. Send them to podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. I'd love it if you would make a one or two minute audio message and attach it to an email. That'd be the easiest way for me to get it. Ask me anything about creating a life of meaning over money and I'll get you an answer. Remember the email address is podcast at presidentiallifestyle.com. Two, subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends because you guys might want to have a discussion about it, especially if they're a CEO who wants to shift from the old American dream to a life of meaning. Three, we try not to have any sponsors on this show unless they are truly in line with our values. I mean, really a good fit. So that means we fund this podcast ourselves. I'd like you to take a look at our resource page to see if there's any products or services that we recommend that are right for you. If not, no worries, maybe later. If so, please use our affiliate link to purchase. Thank you in advance for doing that. You are such an amazing person. Okay, four and last. If you want to know what's happening over here at Presidential Lifestyle and you want us to email you the update, then go to presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. And you'll see the current updated blog for the week, but you'll also see a link to subscribe to that blog. We can email it to you if you like. That's presidentiallifestyle.com slash blog slash now. Don't worry. You don't have to remember that link or any links. They're all in the show notes. Oh, and I forgot to say, if you're enjoying this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review and tell us how much you're enjoying it. And now for the legalese. This podcast is not to replace professional counsel. The best advice is from a professional who knows you and your specific situation. The topics discussed in this podcast are general in nature and for informational or entertainment purposes only. We encourage you to meet with a professional that you can discuss your specific situation with. Whether you choose us or someone else, one-on-one counsel is important, whether it's a financial, therapeutic, legal, or other decision. So that's all for now. I'll see you next episode. And remember, you can have wealth in all of its forms. Believe it, and you'll soon see it.